Adam St. John from 1001 by one. I hope 2022 has uh, been nice to you so far. I hope that this year is better for everybody. Everybody, I hope, is just, I hope you get by and I hope you're doing well. 2021 was not a great year, uh, both in terms of a professional life, uh, some some things going on in terms of uh, the theater side of things for me, but also um, the reason why this show isn't really happening anymore. Um, on June 5th, 2021, uh, the host of the show and my friend for a very, very long time, Ian Whittington, uh, sadly and tragically took his own life. I, I miss him every day. I, I miss doing this with him. I miss kind of ribbing each other and, and getting into the nitty-gritty of film. On June 4th, 2021, uh, we recorded our last episode of the show, which, of course, uh, we didn't know at the time. At the end of episodes, uh, if you've listened long enough, you know that we sort of tease uh, next week's episode, the next movie that we'll be talking about. And as I re-listened to what you'll be what you'll be listening to here, which is our episode on Shaft, I really thought about cutting that out because obviously that's not something that happened. But I'm keeping the episode as it is, the the way that we edited it, the way that we recorded it the first time. Um, our guests' uh, audio is not great. I don't know what the issue was with that, so please bear with us on that. Um, it's not a perfect episode. It, it it the audio wasn't great, but I feel like anybody who listened to this show, and anybody who knew Ian, um, this is this is for you, you know. This is this was recorded within twenty four hours before he was gone, and really, it's not even about the quality of the episode. I really. In in a very personal way, I don't I don't really care what you think about the episode itself. I just really felt the need to put this out there. I feel like it belongs to everybody that knew him, and it's it's tough to just release this because this is the last the last thing that we recorded. Um, a thousand and one by one will still be a a name. Um, Ian and I had plans for for episodes to cover in 2022. I will try to bring former guests on to do our best at doing some of those occasionally um, to keep it sort of alive in a way. But um, please follow us at uh, Below Freezing, um, the other podcast I do with my wife. Every episode we've ever done, um, which is where you're hearing this feed, is going to be there. So please follow us there and, and, and stay tuned because any update that happens will will be on Twitter and um, and a new episode will be available through that feed. Um, I don't think I can prolong this little opening any longer. So um, without further ado, please enjoy our very last Adam and Ian, a thousand and one by one episode on Shaft. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? 
of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to this week's feature, uh, this would be the... um, the 50th anniversary of the film Shaft. Uh, we have a guest this week. Uh, very excited to bring on Ian O'Donnell. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, is it okay if during the pod we ref- we can refer to you as O'Donnell? Is that okay? That is perfectly fine. I was going to say we didn't discuss-, discuss this beforehand, but I knew it was going to be an issue. Because I, I, yeah, it'll be fun just to be like, Ian, what do you think? And then just to have like just either blank stares or a lot of shit coming at me. So great. That's, we got that covered. We did it. We did it on air. It's great. I love it. Um, okay. So, uh, we will, we'll, we'll jump in, uh, quickly here with, uh, what we always do at the top of the show, which is our, our weekly recommends O'Donnell as our guest. We would love it if you went first. What are you recommending this week? Yeah, so I actually just watched this with my wife recently. It is a new film this year uh, released on Hulu. Um, It's Plan B. Um, It is a kind of of coming-of-age slash sex comedy, Um, a female-centered one. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, um, Booksmart from a couple of years ago. Um, But basically, it kind of follows a a rough synopsis without giving too much away. Uh, uh, Two high school friends, one of whom is very um, kind of up straight laced another one who's part of the you know rebel free spirit um but kind of going through what all teenagers go through in terms of acceptance and how they get along with their families um but it really centers around the idea of um one of the characters uh having kind of a regrettable first uh experience with sex um and then actually having to drive across the state of south dakota to attempt to procure the plan b morning after pill um so as you can imagine, all sorts of kind of hijinks lead up to that. There's a lot of um, kind of interesting characters they find along the way. They learn a lot of themselves, um, but it's definitely it's got a real kind of witty tone to it. Um, it's well written. Uh, the the characters, even though they're in their twenties, uh, actually look like high school students, which is always a bonus. Um, as a lot of those movies tend to have people who are pushing thirty who look like they're thirty. Um, but yeah, it's really a, quite a charming film. Yeah, I I just quickly looked it up because I was curious. Um, it's I mean I know I know it's a it's a Hulu film, but it's got a ninety seven percent Rotten Tomato score. So that's, I mean, 
I think putting putting your description and that in mind, um, that sounds that sounds pretty good. That's yeah, impressive. It's definitely, it's a, it's a little different, and I will say, especially, it has a little bit more of a um, kind of a real contemporary feel centering around something which is access to birth control, um, which, as we know, is a recurring issue in this country and has become kind of a cultural flashpoint over the last couple of years, especially. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, sweet. And that's on Hulu, which is great. And it's always uh, just so that people know where to find this. That's that's great to know. So perfect. Uh, Plan B on Hulu. Uh, my recommend is also on a streamer. Uh, mine is also a 2020 release. Mine is actually something that came out, I think, uh, five days ago or six. I, I might be off there a little bit. Um, but uh, my recommend this week actually isn't a film. It's... Uh, Bo Burnham's new Netflix special called Inside. Um, now, Ian, last time I, I, we've talked about this off mic. Have you have you gotten to watch any of Bo Burnham's stuff? I haven't, but this is very high up my radar at the moment. O- O'Donnell, what about you? Are you is Bo Burnham on your radar? I am aware of this. I all I know is it's been blowing up for me on Twitter, um, <laughs> and I've been following it. It seems like every other person is commenting about how incredible it is. So, uh, so Bo Burnham got his fame early on as a very young kind of comedian on YouTube, kind of making funny songs, and that's that's what sort of launched him. and And um, his his specials, What and Make Happy, are great, and they're those are live sort of traditional um, uh, comedy shows. But but his sense of humor and what he does, it's 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 really interesting. So the whole idea behind this this special is basically he's in he's in quarantine during covid and he writes directs edits and shoots his own comedy special from within this little house somewhere and um you know part of it gets kind of dark you know as as somebody who i believe has anxiety issues in real life and and what it means to do this kind of work in general um but then it's also just this sort of weird biting satire that he does there's a there's a whole song that he does about white women's Instagrams that is fucking hysterical. Um, but also just what it means to be an artist right now. And um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily as funny as his other, his other shows, but it's, it's, it's deep in ways that I, I, I mean, I knew he could get to, but the way that he kind of mixes everything together, I, I really, I highly recommend this, but I, I almost, I almost think you got to watch his other specials first. At least at least watch Make Happy before you watch this because it's such a it's a I mean you see the shift but it's like you it's like you need to see where he's going and how he gets there. It's 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 fucking really good. All all the Twitter hype is real. I just I'll say that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I I I got to do. I've been I don't know why I've been putting it off, but I got to I got to get some Bo Burnham up in me. Which leads us to you. Uh, mine, mine is kind of a, a basic recommend this week. You're um, such, you're a basic bitch. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's fine. But I mean, it'll make you happy regardless. At okay. least, at, at least Adam, I don't know about O'Donnell, but, um, <laughs> you know, we've, uh, Adam at least knows that we've in this house been on a massive nineties kick and we've been trading back and forth nineties recommends. You had speed and primal fear, um, and I think it really, what kicked it off is when we had MJ on and he was talking about breakdown. Can and I, that just like set me on this. Yeah, go for it. Quick, quick tangent. Do you know about Imprint now? I I don't. Okay, so Imprint is a boutique label out of Australia. I bought their breakdown. It looks flawless. It's got a bunch of awesome special features. Continue. <laughs> okay, send me a link to that. I will. Uh, 
So Liz and I, we can, we're continuing our sort of 90s flashback nostalgia, whatever it is we're doing. Uh, I put on Broken Arrow, which is not my recommend. I thought she was going to absolutely love Broken Arrow because she's kind of a closet John Travolta fan. And Broken Arrow is him like, that's like the step, the step towards face off. You know, it's him like gearing up to go full on. I'm going to take down Nicolas Cage mode. It's where he, he goes full woo. He does. He goes full woo. Yep. Uh, I, I like that. I'm going to steal that. She wasn't having any of it. Didn't want wanted <laughs> I, nothing I to do her. with Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow is a ton of fun, and I'll hear nothing bad said against it. It is a shit ton of fun. Anyway, wasn't having it. So the next night, I thought, I gotta, I gotta make up for my 90s sin here that she didn't enjoy. Come to find out, she had never seen A Few Good Men. <gasps> so I remedied that immediately, because that is... That is Rob Reiner's best film, maybe. I don't know. It's pretty close with Stand By Me. But that, A Few Good Men is legitimately a masterpiece. Anybody, O'Donnell, you've seen A Few Good Men? Are you familiar? It would be a long time ago, I will say. My my working memory of it is not great right now. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, not familiar with it, Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Jack Nicholson, those three right there should be all you need, but this cast just will not quit. J.T. Walsh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest. Uh, You've got Kevin Bacon. You've got Kevin Pollack. You get two Kevins for the price of one. Uh, Great little courtroom drama. There is this, this couple of Marines out at these barracks in Guantanamo Bay, they have been accused of murdering one of their fellow Marines, but there's like, was it this code red thing? Was it sanctioned by the the upper echelons uh, at that base or not? And it's just, man, this movie just the, the the way that they build tension in this thing is perfect there's a couple of instances where the performances really i think go over the top like i don't like yelly tom cruise is not always a good thing oh, oh but... come on you're a lousy softball player jack it, it's good it, it works and of course when we got to the big final showdown between him and nicholson I thought Liz was going to stand up and cheer because everybody knows you can't handle the truth. But to f- it was honestly, it was worth revisiting it just to see her reaction in that moment of finally getting to see that line in context. Yeah, I, I honestly thought she was going to stand up and start clapping or something. She was just having a ball watching this thing. You know, I'm not sure if either of you are aware of it. This has actually come up recently in the news as well. Um, that movie, as well as uh, Starship Troopers and a couple of others. Um, have either of you heard about this? No. no. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if any other of you are familiar with uh, Dan Crenshaw um, from Texas. Um, he has been kind of complaining about the quote-unquote woke military recently. Um, and as part of his uh, website, has set up a place where you can report uh, anonymously where you think as a military service member you've seen the service becoming overly woke. Um, so as, as you can imagine, with uh, internet hooliganism the way it is, um, it's led to a lot of uh, maybe not entirely truthful reports. Uh, I believe right here we have uh, someone filing a complaint. I think my base commander may have ordered a code red to kill a fellow Marine who is not fitting in well at the base. I have no proof of it. That's the scuttlebutt. When I confronted him about it, he told me that I, quote, could not handle the truth <laughs> that oh that's amazing so yeah if you're looking for some entertainment uh go look up people talking about how they're um 
they wanted to serve because they wanted citizenship and that they're out there to kill the bugs um, and pretty much any other military reference they can throw in there just to jam up the works. Oh, man. That is why the internet was created. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I know Adam. Adam's a big fan of Starship Troopers. I can't get behind that one, but I, I am a big fan of Starship. I'm I'm a bigger fan of A Few Good Men. I just let's. I want to put that it on is, the record. It is it is genuinely a masterpiece. It's yeah. It it is one of my it's one of my favorite films ever. And it blows my mind that I can't believe it's thirty years old. That's that's fucking with my brain. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, so great '90s piece of nostalgia. Great ensemble cast. Oh yeah, Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise before he kind of lost it. Yeah, he still had a few good years left before <laughs> that. That truly sort of took him over. Um, well, fantastic. So there we go. Our recommends this week: Plan B, uh, Bo Burnham's Inside, and a few good men. And now we are going to pivot back. We're going to pivot to 1971. We're going to pivot to 125th Street, and we're going to pivot over to Shaft. Uh, Shaft was directed by Gordon Parks and written by John D.F. Black and Ernest Tidyman based on his novel. Um, Gordon Parks, not really much of a director, and I don't mean that in terms of like like he was a terrible director, just not much on his IMDb. Pretty, uh, pretty sparse. Yeah, I mean, the most one of the most interesting things about this being in the book is that also the next year, his son, Gordon Parks Jr., also directed a seminal piece of black exploitation, which would be Superfly. So they're both in the book, almost right next door to each other. Um, talk, talking about our cast a little bit, we got uh, Richard Rountree, who plays our titular John Shaft, uh, Moses Gunn as Bumpy Jonas, not to be confused with Bumpy Johnson. Don't do that. That's not who he's portraying. Uh we have Charles, uh, oh, oh, uh, Ch- Chiaffi? Is that, is that how we would think we would say his name? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd go Chiaffi. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Cool. We'll go uh, with that. I like that. Uh, he plays Vic, uh, Lieutenant Vic, uh, Christopher St. John. And by the way, this, 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 the St. John references coming up on, on episodes of 1001 by 1. We got to get a Wooding, Woodington one in there soon because I'm just, I'm, I'm killing it right now with the last name. I'll, I'll find you one. Okay. I can't, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it. Um, so anyway, There's not got, many, but there is a couple. <laughs> so he plays uh, Ben Buford. Uh, Gwen Mitchell plays Ellie. Lawrence Pressman plays Tom. Victor Arnold plays Charlie. Tony King plays Davies. And I'm going to be honest, right now, I'm just reading names. I'm reading names and characters. And this will go, go, roll over into the episode later, too. Uh, Sherry Brewer plays Marcy. Rex Robbins plays Raleigh. Camille Yarborough plays Dina. Margaret Wark as Linda. Joseph Leon as Byron. Arnold Johnson as Cull. And Antonio Fargus as Bunky. You might have others. I, this, these were just the first names I, I pulled. Uh, who, who am I leaving out? Who, who needs some love? Uh- did you did I miss Drew Bundini Brown as Willie? You did. You absolutely did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I missed it. I did not. Put you missed it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you got to stop playing with yourself, Willie. <laughs> um. Okay. So let's see here. Uh. Yeah. We mentioned. Uh. Gordon Parks doesn't have any other films in the book, but his son does. Uh. In terms of accolades, uh. These really all revolve around the score and the song. Um. At the Oscars that year, uh, Shaft won Best Song. It lost dramatic score to Summer of 42. At the BAFTAs, it was nominated for Best Film Music. 
um, at the Golden Globes that won Best Score and Lost Song. Uh, also, uh, uh, Richard Rantry up for Promising Male Newcomer that year. That's something. Um, it won a Grammy. And uh, hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? Yes, it was in the year 2000 with a couple other films that we've done, Apocalypse Now, Five Easy Pieces, and Goodfellas. Also that year, we have Network, which I can't Uh, wait to do Network. Network is such a great fucking movie. And then one that really amused me. Are you guys familiar with that old little piece of animation, Let's All Go to the Lobby, that used to be years, years even before our time used to be in front of, you know, yeah concessions ads and things like that yeah anyway that was inducted that little piece of animation <laughs> is in the national film registry so don't worry we're always gonna have it that i will sleep easier tonight knowing that i'm sure you will <laughs> um okay uh da, 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 da. so it has an 88 percent uh critical and 68 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes it is not on the imdb top 250 um and in terms of critical stuff um uh, you know, e- Ebert Ebert seemed to like it. His original view w- was pretty nice. That's about as far as I, I I got in terms of that. Ian, do you have anything that you wanted to to say? Well, Vincent Canby for the New York Times wrote a piece which is I think unnecessarily long <laughs> for the movie that we're about to talk about. But I mean, he did have some really interesting things to say, talking about uh, his opening line of his review is how long has it been since you've seen a good Saturday night movie. I'm not talking about how long it's been since you've seen a good movie on a Saturday night, which is something else entirely. Seeing a good movie on any night is a rare phenomenon, but possibly not quite as rare as coming across a good Saturday night movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's certainly one one thought about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can see where this is going. So let's quickly (laughs) let's just quickly roll through the plot here. Uh, So we have uh, so we have John Shaft, who is. Um, a private investigator is that that is that that's his profession? Is that what he is? Yeah. Okay. Okay. He is, but it's not super clear at first. It, you're kind of left wondering exactly who his character is. It's. It, I, I find that's kind of a recurring theme of this film. Yeah. So, so he's uh, he, he's a PI, and uh, he definitely knows this particular area very well. And um, there is a guy. Uh, Bumpy, who's looking for him, and and uh, uh, Shaft is under the impression that he's basically thinking that Bumpy's trying to kill him, but that's not what's going on. Bumpy's daughter has been taken in by a bunch of wily Italians, and um, he needs to find the daughter and get her back. And so, in doing that, he requests the help of of Ben and some other people uh, to to do that. that. That I think, kind of paring it down, that's that's essentially what's what's going on now. Uh, there are some other things, obviously, we'll talk about, but in terms of like the kind of the bare bones plot, um, that is what's going on. So uh, before we kind of launch into our thoughts, um, O'Donnell, you, you know, and this is I'm going to I'm going to shift it kind of to Ian here. But, you know, you were you were asked uh, specifically to be on this episode. Um, so, Ian, can do you want to maybe ask some leading questions to our guest? Well, this is. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not really. There's not a lot to it. I mean, this is just something that O'Donnell and I bonded over is our sort of shared love of this subgenre of of filmmaking. This black exploitation, whether you like that terminology for it or not, we can get into that and a little bit of the history about why it's called black exploitation. Uh, but yeah, we just 
we just hit upon this thing that we enjoyed, and I, I thought it would be nice to, to have a guest for this episode to help us uh, fill out some thoughts on Shaft and the, the exploitation genre in general. So hopefully hopefully O'Donnell can help us out here. <laughs> so just, I guess, my, my, just my first question to you, O'Donnell, before we get into it is... Um, in terms of, of the movies that you've seen within this within this subgenre, uh, where does Shaft like stack in the pecking order of of films in this group? Is it is it kind of like King Daddy of the group? I mean, I can't claim to have a, a super broad breadth of experience um, in the the general genre. There is there is quite a few that uh, that fall in there. Um, I think one of the biggest things is it's really just a um, a real early starting point for the entire genre um it was really this and uh sweet sweet packs badass song yeah um, also in 1971 that really started that off um i actually just watched that as well um which is that's a completely different film um very experimental um but it's definitely it it kind of started the whole really the whole genre and and regardless of what you think about it because it you know it could definitely it's i think there are people who like exploitation films and there are definitely people who don't um, but that it uh, it definitely kind of leads into a genre where you you start to see black characters who aren't just the sidekick, um, who aren't just being brutalized by the police, who aren't just you know the random passerby, but actually leading uh, leading man, leading woman. Um, so I think in that case it's it's pretty important. And I, I will say you know looking at the, the audience or the um, awards and all that, you know keep coming back to the music. I think, if anything, that's one of the big takeaways from here. You can have never seen this film in your life, but you will instantly know what that song is. Yeah, I, and and speaking as somebody who had never never seen the movie before, right? I have, you know, I have a, I, I randomly a few months ago, I found a DVD copy of it. It's like, oh great, it was used. I'll buy it. I didn't know where to stream it instantly, so I'm like, fuck it, I don't care. I'll I'll, I'll own this on DVD, and like it, it comes on and like. The DVD quality was like old, but but it kind of it kind of added to the 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 style of the film in general. And so I, it it kicks on, and I'm seeing the like old New York skyline and stuff. And then the music kicks in, and like I'm I'm in it. I'm like I'm fucking in this movie. I'm totally digging just seeing everybody walk through New York to this sound. And I think maybe where I'll start with with some some things that bugged me was that, and then it kept going. And there are a lot of scenes in this movie that like reach its like critical apex and then for some reason doesn't cut to the next scene, but like falls and then cuts to the next scene. And it's this movie is not long, but there were scenes that were painfully stretched out. And that opening is so great. And when the music kicks in, it kind of comes out of nowhere and it, it propels you into the movie. And I, I felt myself sit up more and then, eventually felt myself slowly sit back because I was like, nothing is happening. Now he's just walking around. So I don't know. I, I definitely had a lot of a lot of ups and downs within the movie. So I, I just I, I'll throw that out there to start. Well, it's the, the theme, of course. Yeah, really, really important. And I mean, the way that it kicks off the movie is fucking great. I must have I must have heard the song and been familiar with it 10 years before I ever saw the movie. I mean, it's place in history can't be sort of understated it is it's a masterpiece of that sort of like twangy wop wop kind of like that r&b sound right 
I, I, I kind of knew this was, I like, 30 minutes into this movie, I was like, man, I know that Adam is not going to dig this. I like, and I don't know how to, like, dig myself out of this hole to, like, con- not con- not necessarily convince him, but even, like, like make a strong argument for why it is such an important movie. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think, honestly, I... I... I'm torn a little bit. I think it. I think it is a very seminal movie for the the genre. I would definitely say there are times when it, it drags a little bit. Um, I would say, Adam, sorry, the intro. It really is. I, I mean, to set up one interesting part. I, I know that uh, Ian and I have both watched uh, the the. Well, I guess we call them sequels, basically, um, but the later ones, the 2000 and the 2019 with. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, which I'm sure we'll get into later, but um, it does establish right off the fact that uh, Shaft does not give a shit for traffic laws, uh, <laughs> because in all three films, he just walks down the middle of the street. Um, that is a recurring theme, um, but definitely, like that, it's a solid 20 minutes of him literally walking through the street, randomly walking up to people and like shaking their hand and being like, "How's it going?" And then we go to the next scene. I, I could definitely see that. Now, I, I do, I, I, I want to respond and say that I, I, I am able to, to kind of see the two sides of this, right? I'm, I'm able to see the side where I understand the importance of this film and, and everything that, um, that O'Donnell was saying about the seminal nature of this piece and, and, and how it sort of launched um, in a more mainstream way this, this subgenre. Um, and so, and I totally get all of that. And the iconic nature of the song and the score absolutely and it's it's really early to start with this sort of going nitpicky but if being very very specific with the title of the book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die is this one of them or does this does this film belong more in terms of of a history book right in terms of look look what this movie did it's it's a valid argument i i it, and it's it's such a niche sort of piece of cinema, but at the same time, I mean, I th- I think the historical context is enough to at least valid validate the one you know at least the one watch. I do think I'll I'll play my hand early. I I'm gonna keep this one in the book. I do think <laughs> that everybody should should see this before they die. Uh, it's if for nothing else to to see a sort of emergence of a different style of filmmaking. Are trying to to take the stereotypes that everybody's been used to because the the rumor was is that it was written as just another white sort of '60s era detective story, but then with the release of Sweet Sweetback and the uh, how how well that did is no we've got to rewrite it for a black character for a black audience. Uh, wait, I, I, I think it that, is important wait, isn't to that, isn't that apocryphal? Isn't that isn't that not true? Well, the, the he's in the novel. I mean, Shaft is a black character, but it's the I read conflicting things. That, like okay. the oh, novel, that, the, yeah. So the the in, in the novel he's black, but then when Ernest Tidyman was shopping it around, I guess he had written a draft where it was just another white character. So I mean, it depends on whose version of history it, well, yeah, you want to you want to go with. It's easier after the fact to be like, no, 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 that's no, we never we never wanted that. It was always it was right, always right, right to be uh, to be a black guy, which which and, and I, I mean. It's the way it was written in the book. It's obviously the way it should have been done. And I don't, I mean, I don't know what rewrite you could do to make this make, to make sense in the way that it does specifically to this film. I'm sure there's, there's ways, but I doubt it would have been anything memorable, you know, 
in that in right. that context. Same thing. I mean, it's it's a it's a great thing that Beverly Hills Cop was also rewritten for a black character because who wants just another Schwarzenegger, Stallone, '80s era sort of action comedy, right? That movie is what it is because of Eddie Murphy. The same thing. This movie is what it is because of the. I think. I I think Richard Roundtree is fantastic, and I'm sure you're going to disagree with me on an acting standpoint. But he is just so much class and style, and and I think he's got the acting chops to back it up. He's got the attitude to back it up. I think I want almost every part of his wardrobe uh, because he is one stylish <laughs> motherfucker. Um, those coats that he wears are amazing pieces of 1970s design. He's every his has a nicely appointed apartment. Yes. Um, aesthetically, that, that apartment I love. Aesthetically, the whole thing is, you know, he's he's a classy fellow. You you can tell. Um, you know, he has to get down into kind of the, the dirty and have to deal with um, kind of the underworld. But at the end of the day, he's he's a classy man. And it's the the influence of that goes all the way to the top. The the next James Bond film that happened, Live and Let Die. I mean, you look at even the way they dressed Roger Moore in that film, the way they set it a, a big chunk of the film in Harlem. They made the villain black. I mean, its its influence is, is everywhere. Come nineteen seventy three, seventy four. No, and I I don't and I I don't think that Richard Roundtree is bad in this a shaft by any means. I the. I, I, I don't think anybody is playing this necessarily straight, if, if that makes any sense, right? I think I think most of the people within this movie know what movie they're in, right? Um, uh, Vic is very very much knows he's playing a police lieutenant, right? Um, I don't I I don't want to get it wrong, but the the bartender, which hasn't aged very well at all, um, no. He he very much knew what kind of movie he was in, and and I and so, I, I think that Roundtree playing Shaft, I, I think he knew what movie he was in, and and you know I, I I would by no means go as far as to say that it was a bad performance. I think it was a stylized performance, um, and so you know it, it is it's hard to judge it against like a a more traditional like dramatic film. So, so, so I, I think it was fine. I think it suited the movie quite well. Right. What, what I'm curious about, what I'm, I'm jealous of is people that actually got to see it in the day and feel that influence. My, I'm wondering is, did this do the same sort of had, or did this have the same sort of impact that something like black Panther had today? I, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I think yeah. I think this movie has a lot of. I I, I mean, I wonder to, to make that more specific. I wonder what people like in Harlem thought about this movie, like and seeing, not just not just seeing like the the bits of Broadway, but like seeing more specific areas of their neighborhoods in the film. Right. I mean, I think that's that's an important part of the movie, but then also. Uh, it also leads to another one of my most confusing parts of the movie. This movie, okay, so okay, so we get the opening, and it's very, it's very propulsive, and it, and it kind of get it gets you into the the mood, and we, you know, Shav's meeting all these people, and there's a lot of talk on the street, and we're getting all this stuff, and then we get uh, quite possibly my favorite moment of the movie at all, which is the fight in his office, which is just like terrible fight choreography and over the top and it's all kinds of I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally funny but it was great it was 
fantastic. It was a great moment. The, the craziness of actually like throwing somebody out of the window. Like it was this intense, crazy, awesome moment. So this movie to me, it, it, it feels like we're just kind of going for it. Right. And then, and then, um, Shaft has to go in and talk to Vic, and then that that lawyer guy. Oh my God, that lawyer guy was fucking swinging for it. He was like, he's like, I'm 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 on set for one day. I am giving you two hundred percent. Um, he was he 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 was going for it. Um, so this movie to me at this point, it's 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 not so serious, right? It's not taking itself very seriously until it becomes like very serious. And like the um, the uh, the Slumsville song starts to play, and it gets real somber, and it almost feels like it's becoming an issue movie, but it's also not. And and tonally, this movie, I don't like. I thought I thought that Slumsville song and that montage was was actually really good. I just don't think it belonged in this movie. And there and there are moments like that that happen kind of throughout. I mean, you think any of that might partly be related? I mean, uh, there is obviously a history of the the private eye who, you know, takes the jobs that the cops can't do and all that. But at the same time, a lot of what Shaft does is, I mean, basically straight up vigilanteism. Um, he's not much of a detective or a private eye. He doesn't go around sleuthing a lot, um, you know. And we'll see this obviously we talk more towards the end of the film. But there's, you know, there's a lot of just going in guns blazing um definitely more of an, an action-centered role um, and i think that that may affect the tone somewhat you're you're expecting maybe someone who's a bit more like an actual detective um, and instead you get more of a uh kind of a, a mob movie yeah i can definitely concede that some of the characterizations you know talking about Shaft not being much a detective or the way that, you know, homosexuality is, is treated in the film. It definitely, there are some moments like that that definitely let it down. But Adam, I'm glad you brought up the montage because that's one thing that I do really appreciate about this film. I do think it's it's structured incredibly well, the way that they put those montages together. Those those kind of keep me going. I think the editing in it is is really really good uh i think the issue that we're kind of dancing around and i'll just call out the elephant in the room is we are three white guys talking about a movie that is predominantly a, a, a black movie for maybe a black audience but that's the thing that i i love about shaft the thing i appreciate about it and the reason why i would keep it in the book is i think it's a movie that does kind of bridge the gap it takes a lot of things that we're so used to seeing in predominantly white films but turning it on its head so that it can reach a more universal audience well and i and i don't have a i, I don't have a problem with that i and in fact in the i i won't go on a tangent here but i i, I frequently tell my students in class that um, sometimes it's great to take the familiar and not necessarily flip it on its head, but just like tilt it slightly, right? And that by changing the way that we would normally see something, that's what gets us to lean in. And there are moments of that kind of, that lean in urge that I get throughout the movie. The problem though is that I'm, I'm, confu I, I'm confused with, is this just kind of like, is this just a Saturday night movie or is this also a movie dealing with like the hardships of people living in this area at this time when then like we kind of hard cut and then we're back to shaft kicking ass. And it's, 
it's just it's it's there's just a lot of different vibe and then and then I mean and again like and then all of a sudden like I, I did not know we were gonna see some shaft ass in this, which was just fine. It was a <laughs> it was a toned ass and, and good for you, Richard Roundtree. But like all it's just like all of a sudden now we're on to <laughs> the the next thing and it's there's just there for better and for worse, there is just a lot happening in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, it could be very possible. I think they may be going for too much that that balance of wanting to be the kick-ass Saturday night movie while also trying to be like an issue movie. And then also, I mean, it sets the style and the standard for the rest of these films going on through 1976 or 77, whenever this fad kind of died out of the black exploitation films. Yeah, you're going to have really garbage dialogue and you're going to have unnecessary sex scenes. But what it, Shaft kind of does them a little more tastefully. Like everybody else, just wanted that. We need to make. We want to. We want to exploit this thing. We want to make a quick buck. Take that Shaft template and then just beat it to death. If you watch a lot of those other black exploitation films, throughout the next five or six years, I mean, it is. It, it's the quintessential law of diminishing returns, which is, I think, unfortunate. Yeah. I and i and i don't disagree with with anything that you just said and again i think that historically this is a, and and yes and and you know unfortunately i feel like we've been saying this a lot this season which is i don't regret watching the movie not by a long shot um but at the end of the day i'm part of me, like, i don't know and I, because it's all over the place. There were times where I, 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 I thought things were funny, but didn't know if, if they if that was the intention, right? There's uh there's a moment where Shaft ends up finding Ben kind of um uh hit up with, with his his friends, and clearly they seem to be I, I, I don't I don't know the affiliation. They're, I don't know if they're Black Panthers or they're a part of another group, but they're clearly like they're kind of unifying, right? They're they're a group and they're trying to help the people. And so when the when when those people that are with Ben get shot in the hallway, I I think that we're meant to like take that as a oh oh no they got shot, but it, the way that their the way that their bodies kind of fall haphazard like it's it's like part of me like stifled a weird chuckle because I'm like that just kind of looked funny the way that it happened and yet I don't think that that's the reaction that I'm supposed to have and I and because of of what I know about black exploitation and exploitation films in general like. I know that they're supposed to be over the top and I know that they're supposed to be fun and rollicking and a Saturday night movie. But then I keep going back to that montage and I'm like, can I laugh? Is this is fun, right? This is supposed to be fun. Yes. And, and I, you know, I, I, I was, I was conflicted at, at many a time during the movie. And, and I just want to say nothing, none, none of my conflictions have to do with race. That, that wasn't it at all. I just didn't know if this was if the comedy was intentional or unintentional and how how i should be feeling yeah i kind of get the sense i think part of it is just that when it comes to especially probably exploitation general especially around black exploitation that you know when you're left with these questions like you said adam where you're not sure if it's a black panther if he's associated with some other gang it's it's vague it's vague in general and a lot of these are very vague they don't have like clear it's it's like the man is the bad guy for example it's not anything necessarily specific um it actually makes me think of i don't know if either of you ever seen uh uh wayne's uh i'm gonna get you sucker um i know of it 
1988, which is a parody of a black exploitation film. Um, if you've not seen it, I would recommend it. It is pretty entertaining, uh, but it kind of deals with those those themes where it's like the the whole setup is really that the character is is fighting quote the man, and we're not really sure what the man is. Um, everything is in just kind of general vague terms, um, and that's kind of the you know the setup of it is. It's not it's not super specific. I am a big fan of Don't Be a Menace to a South Central while you're drinking your juice in the hood. That is one of the Wayans Brother films that I'm a I big. But I, I, I've heard of that movie as well. I, I haven't seen it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know where to, to take the conversation. I, fe- I feel like I've, I've definitely sort of tackled the bigger things that I was kind of uh, grappling with through the film. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's def- it's a tightrope knowing what you're allowed to to laugh at and I guess what you're you're supposed to that is I definitely when I was reading some of the analysis of the film it seemed like there was such a sort of backlash to the way that the Black Panther or the Black Panther-esque movement in this film was kind of handled the people saying well there's it's almost like a token thing and they're shown as kind of being like hiding in the shadows and kind of being failures I mean this film was met with quite a lot of heavy criticism that's this is why the word black exploitation came about the NAACP itself coined that phrase saying that look we're look how we're being exploited on film which I don't know it sounds like I so I watched a I watched a, a pretty interesting documentary called badass cinema a badass spelled out like the way it is in Sweet Sweet Back, and it seems like there is even even within the black community, there's such a, a there's there's definitely two minds about the way that this film and the genre in itself is viewed. Is are are they being exploited, or you know, is this is this them making a statement of their own? Uh, I don't know, and it's it's tough, and it's like I said, it's hard for us as three white guys to sit here and try and empathize with with how it feels to be portrayed on film because I mean that's we've had it so easy for centuries. I don't know. I like to try and give this film the benefit of the doubt that they were showing, you know, in the same way that Black Panther is showing showing kids, hey, look, you know, we want you to be represented on film as well in a positive light. Now, Shaft nece- isn't necessarily a positive light, but it is somebody who is standing up for themselves. I don't think there's necessarily positive messages that run throughout the whole film, but it is, it's, it's better than it was before. It's better than, oh, you know, reading, what was it, Fred, I was watching an interview with Fred Williamson, we were talking about, you know, it was amazing to be reading scripts where they were, you know, as a black actor, you're alive at the end rather than being killed off 20 minutes in or, or 20 minutes before the end of the film. So it did, it did, it did evoke change, whether you feel that's positive or not, I don't, I don't know, I guess you, we would have had to have been there. Oh, for sure. And, and, and I don't think that the movie... Uh, is well, yeah. I guess I, I, I didn't take it as as stereotypical, you know, in in that kind of way. I, I thought, and and it's it's tough too because this is a period piece now as well. So, the, it also trying to get myself back into the lingo of 1971 was also not jarring, but just you know, it's like, oh yes, this is this is the vernacular. This is just how people talked back then, and on the East Coast, like it's not just 71; it's also New York. So. Just a totally different vibe in general, um, but and and I think maybe the story's a little a little lax. But there is some. It's so funny because there are some great lines. Um, well, John, what did you get? I got laid. That's 
that's great. I think that's that's fucking fantastic. Um, oh, there's another one I had here. Oh, my notes, my notes, my notes. Ah, shit. Nah, I I lost it. But I but there are there are moments of of the the dialogue that I think is really like on point and and cutting and specific, and I think it's great. But then you've got stuff like there's nothing I wouldn't do for twenty dollars, and I told her I was gay. She said she'd straighten me out. Like, boy, that's that's that 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 that's one of those things that just that just is not not gone well. I yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You, while you're while you're also while you're raising up this, you know, doing away with some stereotypes, just perpetuating others. I, yeah, I think that is probably the most cringeworthy scene in the entire film. I mean, there's also the uh, the scene where he's with Vic. Uh, in the interrogation room and he, he holds up he holds up the pen the Vic the the lieutenant holds up the pen to Shaft's face and goes hey man you're not so black which which is obviously terrible but I but I love how that scene like Shaft isn't going to take that shit and he holds up the white coffee mug he goes you're not so white either so I mean there is a you know if you're willing to take a stereotype or two there's at least some moments where you know, it at least flips it on its head. And as I said earlier, Shaft at least isn't going to take that shit and stand up for himself and, and call out that kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's 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 that. And I, I think th- throughout the movie, we see, I think, I mean, my opinion is that we see a camaraderie between Shaft and Vic where Shaft always gets the upper hand. I mean, I think Vic gets it once, when he said when he says it close it yourself shitty before he leaves but then but then shaft gets to sort of bring it back to him one more time at the end which is great and fun um but but yeah i i do i i i mean yeah you could if if you were to like see that written down that chunk of text especially now out of context you'd be like fuck that's no good don't you take that out we're gonna cut that out of the script right now but in the context of the scene it's not even like either one of them are being malicious about it I mean, I think the general vibe of the scene is I'm going to fuck with you. Now I'm fucking with you the way the way like we fuck with each other. You know what I mean? Like that's I, I, that's kind of the way yeah. I took it. Yeah, you're using racism to, I think, break down some of those racial barriers. Yeah, yeah. that's one where they kind of they carry it on as well, because even in the, the later ones with Sam Jackson, um, he's very much a, a, a similar character in the way that he, um, you know, I was honestly surprised that 2000. I thought it would be a lot more sanitized um, for modern day, you know, kind of uh, sensibilities. But um, it still has a very biting racial element to it uh, that they kept in there. And it's definitely, you know, that may be part of this. We don't know. He's not he's not a good, necessarily good guy. He's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's his own man. Yeah, I was genuine. Adam, did you have the chance to watch the 2000 version at all this week? Uh, no, not. I mean, I saw it. It, 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 in like 2000, 2001 when it came out, no, but I, yeah. I haven't seen it since. I I highly recommend you revisit it. I the first time I saw it was for the pod. I said I'm gonna I'm gonna take the time. I'm gonna watch, you know, this version 2000, 2019 to try and see how it ages over the decades. And and the 2019 version is just not good in any way, shape, or form. That that film. I don't. Were they even trying? I don't know. It's just not fucking good. But the 2000 version, it's it's oddly well, not I shouldn't say oddly, but it is 
it's, to me, it was surprising how bitingly relevant it still is 20 years later because the, the central focus of the film is Shaft giving up uh, his position as a cop and and deciding that he's going to take the law into his own hands and deal with this racial injustice of the Christian Bale character who has literally gotten away with murdering a black man. Christian, I, I was genuine. Bale I was genuine. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. And he, he he's channeling. I guess he he must have just done American Psycho, so you can still see a little bit of that Patrick Bateman in there. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that he's he is he. You will not like a single thing about his character. Um, he is a full and out sociopath. Um, but yeah, I, I think it keeps a lot of the spirit of it alive. Um, I've even talked to, to Ian previously. It kind of reminds me at times of a. Uh, um, snatch actually um, in particular the way that all of the separate um, separate storylines separate characters all kind of converge at one point kind of towards the end and it just completely goes off the rails it's you know it's whenever uh, Guy Ritchie basically has all of his characters kind of meet for the first time and then it's absolute chaos for like the next half hour well yeah Guy Ritchie was definitely the flavor of the month you know those early two thousands. So his yeah his influence everywhere at that time. Like I said, I the 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 whole Christian Bell thing though isn't. I mean his story is. I mean it's like I said genuinely bitingly relevant. But it's it's not the mo- the thing that I found the most offensive about that film. I think was actually Jeffrey Wright, which blows my mind to say that he he went he must have gone to the Al Pacino school of of cuban accents in order to do that puerto rican accent that he's doing because it is just it is not good man it, it's i'm assuming i i don't know i don't want to speak on anybody's behalf but it, it feels downright offensive i actually had to stop and look at imdb because i'm like i know jeffrey wright is in this and it's been you know it's he's a much younger man at that point but you look and you're like oh wait that's the character he's playing like i one can't understand half the things he's saying I'm having to strain to listen to him because his accent is all over the place. And yeah, it comes off it's 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 rough. Yeah. I I was a sea hair away from from putting the subtitles on with his character. <laughs> but going back to the 71 shaft, I did want to talk about the ending and and again montage. I think this is where for me it really succeeds as a film. I, I Adam, I have a hard time believing that it didn't pull you back in at that point. The the way that it builds tension, you've got this great, and of course, I'm not I'm not picking on it. I am a little bit, but I'm you know not deliberately. So, um, the I way that t- it really it. it, yeah, well, um, the way it pulls you back in with with the way that the the ending is is edited and that '60s the the score kind of goes into like a '60s thriller, almost kind of like heist vibe. I, I, I love the scene where he's looking for something to burn the paper with and the guy hands him the bottle of gin. I think that's a, a great little throwaway moment that you don't need to have, but it, it's a nice little, like, just take a little bit of the air out of the balloon kind of moment. I don't know, the, the end just, the end really works for me. It, the yeah, way they I, built tension for me was fantastic. I, I would generally agree. My only my only takeaway other than that is that they, they make a point to show all of the characters, for example, taking the... Uh, uniforms from the waiters, the elevator operator, they disguise themselves as staff at the hotel, and then it means nothing in the end. <laughs> like, literally, it's just guns blazing. Like, I really don't know what the point of that was. Like, that's how you lead in. When you're doing stuff like that, in my mind, you know, that's more when you get, like, a 
you know, the newer Ocean's Eleven where you're like, oh, they're disguised as secret people and they're going to, you know, do all this under somebody's nose and they're going to escape and no one will know. No, it was just basically a bloodbath and then everybody running for their lives. So it, it kind of, that part lost me a little bit, but I will say it did dial up the tension a bit there. And I, I, just to, to keep on the positive, I I really love it. I don't know if they did it deliberately. I don't know if it's like a production value thing, but I mean, they have Tommy guns, the way some of the gangsters, especially Bumpy's guys are dressed. It's got a very like 30s vibe to it, like a throwback to those old Warner Brothers gangster flicks, you know, with James Cagney and, and uh, oh God, why am I blanking on his name? Not Borgnine, the other guy that was in Double Indemnity, um, Edward G. Robinson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it 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 actually reminded me of Hoodlum. Oh, what's uh, I know that one. Who's in that? Uh, so Bill Duke directed it. It's it's Lawrence Fishburne and um, and uh and and uh oh god Tim Roth and uh, Andy Garcia, and it's about it's about Bumpy Johnson. It's about essentially who the Bumpy character in this is based on. And um, I think, uh, God, I think Garcia plays not Bugsy Siegel, but like they're all based off of real real gangsters in this time in New York and I definitely I definitely was getting those vibes as well that those old school mobster vibes yeah yeah no, I, I, I think I think what we need sorry go ahead I was just on on the ending yeah yeah I think the way that they were building tension and the way that everything was happening was great it was it it was a bit anticlimactic once we got once we actually got into the room it, it that it everything happened so quick the buildup, the buildup goes forever, and and not that it, not that the end, not that the getting the girl out has to take a long time, but then it just felt like oh, it's over. <laughs> they were out and it was done. And I was like oh, okay, well yeah, I guess I guess we'll get that that last line. But I, but I agree, I do. I think the way that that all looked and was shot was was fun. I think what I'm building to like the conclusions I'm working through how I feel about this film in my mind is it to to sort of see both points of view it's a film that wants to have its cake and and eat it too you know that i guess maybe that is its downfall is it does want to be the saturday night movie it does also want to have you know its moment to discuss issues and then it wants to like layer all of that with this this great sort of contemporary but also throwback style so i mean there is i it it can be i think an overwhelming experience well, and, and, you know, and again, I, any movie that we do on the pod that I haven't seen, I go in not doing any of the research beforehand. I, I, I just yeah. I don't want anything, even if it's something as small as a, as a character reveal. I don't I don't want to know any of it beforehand. And I don't know, maybe if I known more about the specifics of Isaac Hayes' score and song, if I, maybe if I knew that song was in there, it, it wouldn't have been so surprising. But. It, the, that's the stuff with with uh, that song and with Ben and his group of people and how they're only going to do it if if Bumpy pays ten thousand a dollar ten thousand dollars per person how that'll get people out of jail like in the background like consistently brought up is is the world of essentially like uh, the civil rights kind of movement at, you know throughout this time and 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 more rights for for blacks and and that's obviously important it, it just it seems weird to to kind of keep throwing little little hints at it in this particular in this particular movie uh it it just it just was yeah it was just a it was an interesting choice that i don't know that i totally clung to yeah <laughs> i mean we may realistically be in a position where talking you know what he was talking about earlier 
per our experience, this is, you know, there, there may be a certain amount of this is, it's not a movie for us. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's part of it, um, is that it's, it's, it's a place in time. It's, it's representative of, uh, people whose experience we've not lived and then a certain extent, you know, maybe that's just how it's going to be. Well, one thing we usually do on this show is, is favorite shots. Anybody have a favorite shot or a line of dialogue they want to call out? For me, there's 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 not enough of this in the movie. There's one bit, I like the guy that plays Bumpy is is not great. I mean, he's either mumbling his dialogue. I mean, he's really hamming it up. I I, I really his his acting in the scene where he comes to Shaft with the job and he's doing that sort of fake cry. And there's way too many zoom ins and outs in that scene, by the way. But there's one shot where. You know, he brings Ben to him, and they're actually setting up, you know, getting his daughter back. And it's he's flanked on either side by Ben and Shaft, and he comes right into the middle of the screen. And it's almost like he's talking to the camera. It's a very, very sort of high, like stylized framing. I kind of, I kind of dug that, but it's like the, really one of the only moments like that in the movie. I kind of wish there had been a little bit more of that. That is surprising. You hate a fourth wall break. Yeah, well, I don't know if he's talking directly to the camera. I don't know if that's, like, a mistake that they left in where he was, like, looking into the camera and shouldn't have been. Like, either way, I, I, I like the framing of it, I think, more than anything else, regardless of whether he's breaking the fourth wall or not. I will say our friend Bumpy does do something I mentioned during our Philadelphia Story episode with Gregory Peck. He is doing the not blinking thing as to look like he is about to cry. And it was, oh man, I saw it. He goes like, yes, he's doing it too. What a film acting technique. I'm not going to blink and I'm going to cry and it's going to look good. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't help but, but, but think that. Um, I do. I, I loved every part of the fight in the office. I, and the way that it looks like he's trying to strangle the camera and how close it was. And I always love seeing... A body fly out of a window. I, I just thought that was was just fun. I, it, that that was more of the movie that I wanted to see. Well, there's a detail in there too. I'm sure you love because we've talked about this in films before. Is people standing too close to people with a gun in their hand, and we actually see how that you know is going to you know not work out well for you because Shaft is stood too close to the guy and does get the gun knocked out of his. It doesn't happen enough in movies. Yep. Yep. That'll learn you. That'll learn you. Yeah, I can't think of like a particular shot necessarily. I will say throughout the film, I did find the the way they uh, filmed it odd at points. There's a lot of shots looking up at characters that are kind of uh, disorienting at times. Uh, but I will say one that really stood with me as just a particularly odd detail is in Shaft's meticulously lit apartment, which again is gorgeous. It has a spiral staircase in it. He has all of his oh, books and his hi-fi, and I would kill for that apartment. Um, above his bed is the creepiest painting of a clown for some reason. <laughs> and I believe one of the characters kind of looks at it and remarks about it, because you see that, my first thought is, why on earth would you put that over your bed? Why would I, I you think put it's, a clown painting over your bed? I think it's Vic who sees it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was Vic, yeah, because he comes in, he meets him later, and they're, they're kind of joking back and forth. But yeah, it was just a particularly odd set arrangement. I stopped, and I'm like, okay, that's that's odd. I would not expect that. Agreed. Especially See, the, after some of the it, uh, some of the abstract art in, like, uh, Bumpy's office, for example. Bumpy's office is very, very 70s. 
Uh, but he has some really interesting, like, abstract art on the walls. Um, but yeah, that, that clown just immediately just burned his way into my brain. And what is it, maybe you can help me with this, O'Donnell, what is it with, with wood-paneled offices in exploitation films? I've, a dozen exploitation films that I've seen now, every single one of them features a character, usually the villain, who has a wood-paneled office. I mean, it's 1970s, and it's cheap. Um, I will say, uh, actually, my, my father is an auto mechanic at the, the, off the shop he worked at growing up um, in their waiting room. It was wood paneling, wood paneling and an RC Cola machine. It's oh, the only yeah. RC Cola machine I've seen in my life. And it's just, it's a staple of, you know, cheap 70s decor. And so I guess, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, what was the budget of this film? Half a million? You know? Yeah. So... You, you got to make up where you can, I suppose. I, I, I just want to say, I, I believe they prefer to be known as Royal Crown. I believe they prefer their entire title to be said. Um, I just want to oh. put that out there. Apologies to the Royal Crown Company. <laughs> hey, God, God forbid we get slapped with a cease and desist letter. <laughs> uh, what, about, uh, what about Unsung Heroes? Ooh... Unsung you, hero. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't prep one of these you, this time. You, you, actually hinted at at mine earlier, uh, and mine's um, mine is Hugh A. Robertson, who is the uh, the editor of the film, and not just because of the montages and the way that the ending kind of flows together, but there are some hard cuts that I'm, and and maybe that is sort of a staple of ex, of exploitation films, but like. I think we go from a scene where he's just basically had sex. It's a hard cut to him eating a hot dog. And I'm like, that is a bold fucking choice. And I really liked it. So I'm, I definitely want to give some, some, some attention to, to Hugh Robertson for, for the editing of this film. Well, it's a good thing you did. I mean, I, I had this in my notes. I don't know why I didn't bring this up. Uh, he edited Midnight Cowboy, first African-American ever nominated for an editing Oscar. Well, there you go. That's... So he, I think he's, I think he's the right choice. I mean, I, mine is a little controversial. Uh-oh. Charles, uh oh. Charles, Charles Siofi as Vic. I know it's maybe a faux pas to, you know, talking about a black movie to say the, a white character is the unsung hero. I think, like you mentioned, he knows exactly what movie he's making. I love the way he spars with Shaft. I think he, I think he makes a, a great. I don't know. I think it's, it's he's not a foil. That's that's the wrong word. But I think he makes a uh, the back and forth between them is fantastic. I'm just I'm just thrilled you didn't say Rex Robbins is Raleigh. That's about the only <laughs> way you could have gone wrong with your unsung hero. Yeah, I, I don't know if I really have one necessarily. It it really feels it's it's the Richard Roundtree show. Um, you know, it's <laughs> he's. It's all about him. Um, I will say, I actually, I, I, I'm not getting a lot of love here for Bumpy. Um, I actually kind of <laughs> like Bumpy. Uh, I think in part just because he's, I don't think he's necessarily flushed out super well. So you're not entirely sure what, what his motivations are, like what exactly is driving him. Um, but he tries to play it off with just this cool, like chill mob boss uh, kind of air to it. That's It's entertaining at least. I, th- I think as an actor, he knew that maybe he was being outperformed by Richard Roundtree. So maybe, you know, pull it, pull it back a little bit. Well, and it's what's what's I because I, I have this thought with with pretty much everybody in the movie is that 
you know, Richard Roundtree gets to do a, a lot, right? He gets to he gets to push people around and get to say these great quippy things and, and like be, he gets to be a badass in the movie. And so I think what everybody else gets to do for their few scenes is be over the top. Like there, I, I don't I don't think that um, Gordon Parks gave any notes to any actors. I think it was just fucking go for it right i i refer back to the lawyer in that in that that open that one of those first scenes with shaft um bumpy at times uh some of the the mobster guys like they're all playing sort of big broad brush strokes of characters and and it but again in a movie like this it works it's i don't i don't want to say that it's great but it, it certainly fits the world for that and because everybody and because everybody else takes it like one notch up Richard Roundtree's, which I think I think even within a, the world of this is still kind of a big performance, doesn't look nearly as big when placed next to like a Bumpy and a Vic and a Raleigh and the lawyer guy. Right? He he looks comparatively small when you place him next to these other quite big characters. Like yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah, well, shut you up, didn't I? Yeah, you in did. a certain sense, that kind of what makes uh, Shaft 2019 so disappointing is that uh, but, Richard Roundtree as Shaft is a is an interesting character, and then in the latest one, um, he's in it for about 15 minutes um, at the very end, and that's basically it. Um, I kind of felt like they just kind of shoved him in there, and they're like, "Look, it's a reference to the original film," um, without having any kind of real um, build up to it. But that's that's a whole other thing. That movie is, I, I talked with Ian previously. It, it strikes me as someone who tried to create a parody of Shaft, and in the last minute realized they could actually buy the rights to Shaft for not very much money, and so they just made a Shaft movie that was also a parody of itself. It was a shit show. Yeah, well, it's it's got problems from start to finish, and they have to like retcon the whole Sam Jackson. Is he his nephew? No, he's actually his son. You mentioned that painting. When we do actually go into the the old Shaft's apartment, that that would have made it so much better if we at least had a callback to to something of the original. Even put that goddamn painting in there, just anything, because it, it yeah, it is like they literally just shoehorned Richard Roundtree into the the 2019 one it's such a disappointment because you you know he's on the poster you know he's going to be in this film at some point but like to wait until the last 15 20 minutes and then just he's just there for the shootout it's it's a real letdown it's a real i think stain on the legacy of this franchise well Agreed. and this is in in like a like a lot of franchises and movies that weren't i i don't think were ever intended to be franchises this seems really easy to just go, no, 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 it's Shaft 1971, and then the other things exist only if you want them to, but it's, it's like, right, no, no, right. no, it's just, it's just this one. And, and, and I, you know, I have seen the original, or not the original, the, the 2000 remake, and the, the, the thing that I, the DVD that I bought actually was a Shaft, the Shaft pack, right? So all five movies are in there. I just, it was a, it was a busy week. It was a busy week. I got my second shot. You know, I've, I was out for the count yesterday. I did not, uh, I didn't get to watch any Shaft films yesterday. Um, so, so there's that. Yeah. You could say that you got shafted. I did. I watched Cruella with my family. That was a thing that I did. How was that? It was pretty good. Huh. Yeah, it was, it was fine. Um, that's a tangent. We're not going to go there. Um, so, uh, so, uh, 
Ian's any any final any any sort of big final thoughts about Shaft? No, but I will say that I appreciate you uh, uh, referring to us plurally as in I don't think of all the times we've ever hung out nobody's nobody's thought to do that when addressing both of us is to just call us Ian's. Is it question time? Are we there? I I think I think so. Okay. So, O'Donnell, as our guest, I will start with you. Do you believe that Shaft should be in the book? I would say that would probably be a fair assessment. I think so. Um, you know, I will say I, I, I've listened to the podcast periodically. Um, I think a thousand one movies is a lot of movies. Um, and that ultimately, if we're going to have one that really starts an early kind of discussion as to what black cinema looks like, then yeah, it's definitely a, a good starting ground for that. All right. Fair point. Fair point. Ian. I think you already answered this, but I'll ask it for the record. Do you believe that Shaft should be in the book? I I do, and if you're only going to see one black exploitation film, I mean this one set the standard. Fair, Adam. I think I already know the answer, but go ahead. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with no, um, and I actually I thought a, like a really long time about what I wanted to choose as my replacement. Like I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I thought would be uh, a replacement for Shaft. And um, immediately I went to, I went to Sirius. I went to, uh, and I wanted to also uh, uh, put, put back in a, a black filmmaker and a predominantly black cast. And I went immediately to Ryan Coogler and I thought I could put in either Fruitvale Station or Creed. And I was sort of like, okay, I could go with either of those. But they're but they're both very serious. They're both very good movies. But that's not what Shaft is, right? Shaft, I think, at its core, despite some of the hiccups that I had with it, is a fun movie. And we talked a couple of weeks ago on Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown that I thought that that was supposed to be a comedy that just wasn't very funny. So I am replacing Shaft uh, with a comedy, uh, a more recent comedy, which I think the book needs. And I am going with... Uh, 19 actually it's so great because you mentioned about a Saturday night movie. I'm going to just change the day of the week. And my replacement film is Friday. Holy shit. I didn't see that coming. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, a very young F Gary gray, who was a black filmmaker. Like the cast I think is uh, uh, entirely black. Um, this is ice cube stepping away from kind of playing those sort of gang member roles in, in like boys in the hood. And he's just playing a guy. He's playing a guy who gets fired on his day off. This movie like announces Chris Tucker, the ensemble around him is, is just incredible. I mean, Bernie Mac, Frankie Faison, John Witherspoon, Nia Long, Regina King. I, I mean, I can't, uh, Tony Lister. It's, it's a stacked cast. It's it's iconic and it's also got a culty kind of reputation like Shaft does. I think Friday is a, a very beloved film and I know that it's t- it's different in a lot of ways, but I I think we need more comedies in the book. I fucking love this movie. I also think this sort of starts off a, a different kind of trend of black filmmaking, but but like these all black comedies that aren't the spoof ones. I think we were so used to some of the Wayne's brother films that we get a more like everyday just kind of hanging out movie and 
I, I and I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I also fucking love this movie, but I, that that's my replacement. I, I am replacing Shaft with Friday. I I highly respect that decision. You know what I was? I thought you might have gone with would have been Jackie Brown, but I'm I'm actually I'm really relieved that you went with with Friday. I think that's an excellent choice. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't begrudgingly say that I, I keep Shaft in, but I would say if you're going to replace it, Friday would be a really good option. Yeah, hooray. Um, well, well, lovely. So so there you go. That's that's two yeses for Shaft from the Ians. Uh, that's one no from me uh, and Adam, uh, and my replacement is Friday. But, uh, of course, as always, we want to know what you think. What do you think of Shaft? The iconicness, the cult status, the the music. Let us know. So find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. And you can find us to listen on all of the major platforms, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcast. Um, Ian O'Donnell, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about uh, Shaft. We appreciate you being on the show. It's been great having me. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, please, yeah, just uh, drop me a line and I'll, uh, I'll come talk with you anytime. Yeah, thank you for being here, man. I really appreciate it. It's perfection. Like- perfection. And so uh, stick around next week as we stay uh, in the same year. We switch locations but kind of stay in this, in this crime world um, with uh, – with um, a movie that I know that uh, Ian is very fond of, and and maybe I'll just I... and another one you, that I have you can seen. say you can say the title you can say the title I mean there's actually a connection between the two of them not just that they're crime films not just that they're set in 1971 but you can actually see Get Carter on one of the billboards in Shaft as as they're doing, driving down the street during the montage I don't know if you caught it or not but it, it's there so they are they are intertwined in more ways than one. Well, there you have it. I, I did notice that. Um, so please uh, stay tuned next week for our episode on Get Carter. But until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. <laughs>